Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Your dollars won't buy you much more of anything these days, but they will buy you more euros, pounds, and yen. But what risks does a strong U.S. dollar pose to the global economy? The European Union is facing a recession if Russia cuts off its supply of natural gas. So will Russia do it? Chinese regulators stepping up efforts to help property developers as a growing number of home buyers refuse to make mortgage payments. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here for NTD Business. In another sign the housing market is cooling off, U.S. home builder sentiment plummeted this month to its lowest level since the early months of the pandemic. The National Association of Home Builders says high inflation and rising home building costs are forcing many builders to halt construction. This often happens when the cost of land, construction and financing exceeds the market value of the home. Why would you build? Much of the pandemic housing boom is reversing now as the Fed raises interest rates. More data on the health of the housing market are due out later this week. We'll keep you updated. And talking of raising rates, the Fed has hinted it will keep raising interest rates until inflation is tamed no matter what happens in the housing market or any other market, in fact. The consensus guess seems to be that the next time the Fed will again raise its key interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point. The Fed hopes raising rates will bring down inflation, but raising them too much or too fast may induce an economic slowdown. But inflation is now officially at 9.1%, a new 40-year high, and this caused some of the Fed to consider a bigger rate hike. Fed Governor Christopher Waller says the inflation report was uglier than they thought it would be, but that they don't want to make policy based on one data point. Would you laugh if I said the U.S. dollar is strong right now? Of course, it can't buy much more of anything these days, except other major currencies. In the past year, the euro has fallen 14% against the dollar, the British pound is down 13%, and the Japanese yen is down 20%. Every major economy has been devaluing their currency by printing money, but analysts like Brett Johnson of Santiago Capital have long predicted that the U.S. dollar would be the last fiat currency standing. The dollar is the world's reserve currency. That means most international transactions are done with dollars, even transactions not even involving the United States. For example, around 80% of the world's oil deals are done in dollars. Johnson also says there's more dollar-denominated debt outside the United States than there is inside. So to pay all that back, people will need dollars for a long time to come. That keeps the demand and price of dollars high while it pushes down the value of other major currencies. But dollar strength may come with problems. It worsens inflation outside the United States because those countries' currencies are weaker now, making imports more expensive. That leads to less investments, lower economic investment globally. And during times of economic weakness or uncertainty, where do investors put their money? In U.S. dollars or U.S. assets further strengthening the dollar and weakening global currencies. Bloomberg News today called this a doom loop, and with us to discuss if it is a doom loop is Lance Roberts, Chief Investment Strategist with RIA Advisors. Lance, great to see you. Always glad to be here. Thank you. Lance, I think you're the perfect guy to ask. You're just back from vacation in Italy. Were the Europeans happy to get your dollars? 
No, not at all. Actually, it was kind of interesting that, um, you know, while I was there, nobody wanted to take dollars. They wanted it in euros. And, you know, I tried to explain to them that, you know, the dollar was strengthening and they'd be better off taking dollars. But yeah, they, they just didn't want to. But, you know, your point here is that, you know, a stronger dollar is inflationary for them because everything that they buy is getting is costing them more money now because of that exchange rate between what they're buying and in terms of imports and what they're paying for. Them. And do you feel this is a, a global risk even for us here in the States? Well, now remember, you know, when we take a look at corporate profits and, and talking about, you know, here in the States as well, about 40% of our profitability for corporation comes from exports. So as we're exporting to other countries, that means that, you know, the, the cost of those exports for other countries are going up. So they potentially purchase less, right? So that hurts corporate revenues. So, you know, a strong dollar isn't always, you know, a panacea for a, a, a country. You know, it can have some negative knockoff effects and particularly in a weaker economic environment like we're seeing now, those exports become very important in terms of keeping economic growth here strong. Because in the past, we hear, especially the United States, complaining about other countries devaluing their currencies to help their exports, like you're saying. What is the solution for the United States, considering the inflation problem here? Well, you know, this is, and look, you know, it's always important. And, and you know, I've had problems with previous administrations talking about, you know, the, the devaluing of currencies. Look, we've been manipulating our currency since 1900. So everybody does it. And the reason that we do it is to keep trade balanced. Again, imports and exports are very important for economic growth. So if our dollar gets too strong relative to other currencies, right, then we export less. If it gets too weak, well, you know, that causes problems for other people. So what happens is over time is that countries try to balance their currency to some level that's beneficial to both parties. So it's not some nefarious scheme, you know, to try to make one country stronger than another. It's simply just trying to keep the balance of trade at equitable levels. And, you know, right now, because of what's happening here in the States, we're getting a lot of flow of dollars into the U.S. to buy U.S. treasuries, to buy our U.S. currency, because it is getting stronger. And unfortunately, the stronger the dollar gets, the more value it attracts, because if I've got currency, reserve currency sitting in another country where it's getting weaker, I want to move those currencies to somewhere where I'm not losing purchasing power. So, you know, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy here. It will eventually rectify itself. But this is part of the cycle that we're in right now. How about these other countries, Japan, for example, 20% down on the dollar, Europe, 14% and falling. Is this a big problem for these guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Japan's got its own problems going on. They've been buying you know, 80% of their bond market now for the last several years to try to prop up their economy. Uh, that's the, keeping interest rates at zero. It's, it's, and we've often kind of referred to Japan as the fly in search of a windshield. And they may have found that now, right? I mean, that they're having a lot of problems. And that's making that much less attractive for foreign investors to put money in Japan, as an example. And that's causing that valuation to drop. Um, this is a problem for the euro as well. Right now, euro, euro, the eurozone is, is much closer to a recession than we are. So again, that's extracting dollars out. You know, one key point here is that Dollars and, and valuations are relative to all other countries. So it's not, uh, I hear a lot of people talk about, well, the dollar is going to go to zero someday. It's not. Um, and the reason is, is that every country has its own currency. And we're just simply talking about the differentials between the value of one currency and another. So one currency may go up and 
one currency goes up, another one has to go down. It's just the law of nature. Uh, so it's just important to understand the dynamics of trade and what's happening internationally. We are the cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry as far as you know fiat currencies go, and that makes us the king dollar right now. Well, cleanest shirt is better than nothing, Lance. Lance Roberts, <laughs> RIA Advisors. Appreciate it, Lance, as always. Thank you. My pleasure. And a quick update on China's mortgage boycott. Chinese regulators are encouraging banks to help property developers by lending them more money. Comes as more home buyers there are refusing to pay their mortgages after the building project stalled. Could you blame them? But it's making China's real estate crisis worse. Chinese regulator on Sunday said banks should meet developers' financing needs where reasonable. Bloomberg also reported China may allow homeowners to halt mortgage payments temporarily on stalled projects without any penalties. The news helped banking and property stocks. China's banking index, which tumbled more than two-year low last week, bounced 1.4 percent. Chinese real estate stocks gained more than 3 percent, both on mainland China and in Hong Kong. And amid an ongoing energy crisis in the European Union, Russia's Gazprom has reportedly told European customers that it can't guarantee them gas supplies. This is according to Gazprom letters seen by Reuters. The letter said it's doing this because of, quote, extraordinary circumstances. Get this. Currently, there are fears that Russia will completely cut off Europe's supply of gas. Head of the International Energy Agency warned today that this is a real possibility. And here to, and here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the situation in Europe is European economist Daniel Akai. He's the chief economist at the Tresses Hedge Fund. So, Daniel, thanks for coming on. You know, let's just get right into this, uh, this issue. What kind of danger is Europe in if Russia cuts off its supply of gas completely? Well, if Russia cuts uh, its uh, supply of gas completely, Europe is in really, really uh, big trouble. Because think about this. Uh, there is absolutely no source of energy that can offset the volume of gas that comes from Russia. Uh, Europe imports about 150 BCM of natural gas from Russia. Uh, it can reduce the dependence on Russian gas by importing U.S. LNG or some gas from Norway and other sources, but still, there is no other alternative, even if they reopen some of the coal, mines, coal plants, sorry, and some of the nuclear plants, it is not enough. And uh, the combination of renewables, wind and solar, is uh, definitely not a solution because, as you know, they're intermittent and volatile, and obviously, uh, they work with a load that is around 22 to 40 percent. Therefore, they cannot offset the volumes coming from Russia. Now, Russia knows how much Europe depends on it. So how likely will Russia actually do this? I think it's not that easy. On the one hand, it is true that the European Union has a tremendous dependence on Russian gas. But on the other hand, we have to ask ourselves the question, what can Russia do with that gas? Because it's not easy to sell it elsewhere. It's not easy to send it anywhere else. And the uh, transportation system, as well as the storage system of uh, Russia, are quite full already. So uh, for Russia, it's also a, a double-edged sword. It cannot simply just turn off the taps, and it would be a massive loss of uh, dollar and euro revenues that are much needed in this environment. Now, Daniel, what effect would the gas shortage have on European industries? 
Well, European industries are certainly suffering. If you think about the number of industries that would have to shut down entirely its activities if Russia decided to stop uh, sending gas to Europe, that would certainly cause a massive recession in the European Union. There are numerous sectors that would collapse immediately. You know, between the economy, the people, industries, who would feel the pain the most? Certainly the people. Uh, prices are already very high. Uh, many households are being unable to uh, accommodate the spending required, for example, for air conditioning in the middle of a heat wave. So imagine what it would be when it gets cold in winter and the price of natural gas, essential for heating, uh, rockets to a new all-time high. Uh, people would certainly feel the impact more severely. How did the European Union get into this situation? Well, it's a, it's a very complicated situation because the so-called dependence on Russian gas was not something that was a mistake or something that was uh, uh, sort of a, a lack of uh, planning. It was actually planned. It was uh, perceived that uh, having more interaction and commercial ties with Russia would improve the relationships with the Russian regime. Uh, everybody would understand that it's uh, even a, a, a good decision uh, to think that by strengthening commercial ties with an autocratic regime, uh, that regime will uh, slowly but surely improve in terms of governance and in terms of democratic approach and openness and uh, trade capabilities. Uh, but obviously, it's not always the way that uh, one plans and time obviously uh, puts everything in a different perspective. Well, it didn't work on China when, uh, you know, they try to let China into the World Trade Organization. But anyways, Daniel Lacaye, chief economist at Tresses, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. And they're not just worried about crude oil and natural gas in Europe. Get this. A pub in Germany has found a novel way to beat Europe's cooking oil shortages. It's letting customers pay for their beer with sunflower oil to ensure there's enough for frying schnitzels. Lucy Fielder has more. A Munich brew pub is beating Europe's cooking oil shortages and ensuring plentiful stocks by letting customers pay for their beer with sunflower oil. Ukraine and Russia account for about 80% of global exports of sunflower seed oil, so supplies have dwindled in many European countries because of the conflict. Bottles of rapeseed and sunflower oil have become more scarce on German supermarket shelves, and many shops ration the number of bottles per customer. Eric Hoffman is the manager of Munich's Geisinger Brewery. Getting oil is very difficult for the reason that we do it in the supermarket with every private customer. There, you can only get it rationed and in smaller quantities. And if you need 30 litres a week and only get 15 instead, at some point you won't be able to fry a schnitzel any longer. To compensate for this shortage, the brewery is offering beer lovers a litre of their favourite brew for the same quantity of sunflower oil. While a litre of beer costs about $7 in German pubs, a one-litre bottle of sunflower oil retails for about $4.50, making the offer tempting for many customers. The customers are very satisfied with it. They are helped and we are helped. They are happy to help us. And Wall Street stocks closed lower today. The Dow dropped 216.7 tenths of a percent. S&P fell 32.8 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq lost 92 points, also 8 tenths of a percent today.
And Bank of America and Goldman Sachs reported earnings today after their peers reported last week. The big banks, of course, an integral part of the economy, so their performance shows us what could be going on behind the scenes. A strong trend is forming. Anthony's fake quarter has more. Monday's bank earnings are continuing the trend. Financial firms Bank of America and Goldman Sachs both reported steep drops in profit, in line with the profit drops seen last week. And like last week, substantial amounts were set aside in their loan loss reserves. Bank of America, the second largest bank in the U.S. by market cap, set aside $523 million even more than J.P. Morgan, the biggest bank. And Goldman Sachs, the sixth biggest in the U.S., set aside the most, $667 million. Banks use these kinds of reserves to cover potential losses from bad loans. It's a sign that banks are concerned about bad times ahead. And continuing the trend, loan demand has increased for Bank of America. Average loans have climbed back over a trillion. They're up 12% compared to Q2-21, led by commercial growth of 15% and complemented by consumer growth of 8%. You can see both commercial and consumer loans balances are now back to pre-pandemic periods. Bank borrowing was down during the pandemic as people were getting large amounts of money from the government. And loan demand is now picking up. But investment banking fees have declined dramatically by 47%, which reflects less business deal-making in the economy. And this has hit Goldman particularly hard because Goldman is largely an investment bank. Underwriting was down 73%. Faye Quarter, NTD News. If you're in the market for a new car, beware. Some safety features may not be available because of the ongoing semiconductor chip shortage. Some car makers are no longer including features like blind spot monitoring and proximity alert systems for some models at least. Safety regulations don't require these systems, but they can be helpful sometimes. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety says blind spot monitoring systems may cut the risk of lane change crashes resulting in injuries by 23%. The nonprofit also says rear cross traffic alerts can reduce the risk of an accident by 22%. Potential car buyers should research which models still come with these safety features and check with your dealer. Still to come, stay with us. Social media is making young people feel bad about their wallets. We have details in a new survey. Chicago celebrates National Ice Cream Day at a new museum featuring ice cream treats and pools filled with sprinkles. Don't miss it. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Over in the United Kingdom, jets are back in the skies over Farnborough. The air show near London alternates with one in Paris as the aerospace industry's biggest annual event. The pandemic put it on pause, but now it's back. Boeing kicked off events by announcing a big order from Delta. The American airline is taking 100 of its 737 MAX jets 
That's over $13 billion at list prices. Now, the rest of the week may see other deals, but maybe not on the scale of past years. Air travel business still licking its wounds after two years of lockdowns has left many airlines short of cash to pay for the new jets. And while some may be posting pictures of their bad airport experiences, you might be one of the many people who like to share vacations and positive life events on social media. Well, those images of success are reportedly affecting 34% of adults negatively. Dirichal Marshall has more. Many of us like to share our lives on social media, which can have a negative effect on others. Those posts, images, and videos of success are making one in three U.S. adults feel negatively about their finances. That's according to a new bank rate poll. Those feelings include jealousy, inadequacy, anxiety, shame, and anger. Affected the most were the younger generations of Gen Z and millennials. Nearly half felt negatively about their finances after spending time on social platforms. Bank rate analyst Sarah Foster had this to say about keeping your kids up to speed financially. Really, the best way to prevent this from happening is to make sure that you're having honest conversations about money. I think, you know, that financial education gap is really a major culprit. Why so many people might learn bad lessons about money online. Most parents believe social media contributed to their kids having unrealistic expectations about money. Foster says to take things with a grain of salt. I think it's also really important to make sure that you're following people who, number one, don't make you feel pressured to live a certain lifestyle, who, where you still kind of feel true to yourself when you're seeing their posts. And I think also kind of following people who post about their struggles in addition to their successes. I think so you get that full picture that's not necessarily kind of this false sense of reality. Ted Rossman, bank rate credit card senior industry analyst said, you don't know if someone took on a lot of debt to fund the amazing vacation or the perfectly put together outfit depicted in their photos. This can lead to a keeping up with the Joneses kind of competition among friends and acquaintances. Sean Marshall, NTD News. A new lawsuit claims that Skittles are unsafe to eat. A consumer in California has filed a lawsuit in federal court against candy maker Mars, alleging that Skittles are made with a known toxin, titanium dioxide, that's unfit for human consumption. In 2016, Mars said it was planning on getting rid of the chemical compound from its products, but the lawsuit claims that it's still being used in some products, including Skittles. In a statement, Mars spokesperson said, quote, while we do not comment on pending litigation, our use of titanium dioxide complies with FDA regulations. Keep you updated. And Chicago celebrated National Ice Cream Day yesterday. You missed it. They had giant sprinkle pools, ice cream, and a Willy Wonka-esque ice cream adventure. Here's the story. I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. People in Chicago celebrated National Ice Cream Day on Sunday with an ice cream-themed adventure inside and outside of the newly opened Museum of Ice Cream in downtown Chicago. Manish Vora, co-founder of the Museum of Ice Cream, says the museum helps adults rediscover their inner kid. We're using the power of ice cream to get people to forget about what's going on in the outside world, forget about your worries, and actually come and play like a kid. If you tap into that inner child, the museum's interactive games draw out the childlike innocence of adults. 
we have a putt-putt, a three-hole ice cream-inspired mini golf course that is a part of the experience. From an interactive cherry on top game where you are going to uh, build your ultimate ice cream sundae using these cherries that you're going to be flicking into the virtual world. Adult visitors dunk themselves in the giant sprinkle pools like kids inside and outside of the museum. Emmy Sorrells from Alabama made the dive. Oh, you feel like a child again. You look, I mean, I would never jump in a sprinkle pool anywhere except for the Museum of Ice Cream. Sophia Lewis from Chicago enjoyed swimming in the sprinkles and visiting the ice cream history exhibit. The best part was jumping into sprinkles head first, but it was a lot of historical facts and different stuff to taste, so it was a lot of fun. I'm like five. Daring visitors got to be adventurous kids again, trying unusual flavored ice cream. LG Betts from Chicago tasted hot dog ice cream, a hot dog flavored ice cream complete with hot dog seasoning, real mustard and a pickle. Tasting the hot dog ice cream, I didn't expect that to be so good to me. It had pickle flavored everything, it was pretty, pretty good. Visitors ended the visit at a prohibition era themed speakeasy where they tasted cocktails, milkshakes, sprinkle pool sundaes and exotic drinks. Vora hopes that the Willy Wonka-like ice cream museum energizes senses and reimagines the way people experience and love ice cream. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. National Ice Cream Day. Bet you won't miss it next year. That's the latest from the NTD Business team and myself, Paul Green. You can follow me on Twitter, too, till we see each other again. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.